primary principle of the Christian life. Zeb, if I can have your help for a few minutes. And uh, if you... uh, if you just want to uh, doodle, um, I don't know. Some people maybe some people it helps them listen when they have something to fidget with. If I'm uh, Sister Sheila used to pick on me when we would go to missionary convention or district assembly together because I would sit and listen to the reports and the business that was going on, and I would just my leg would bounce and I would be fidgeting. It seemed to help me. Uh, to, to listen if I can fiddle with something. Um, anyway, uh, I would encourage you, you can follow along. Uh, we are, what is this, number nine? What's the, the top of your paper say? Is that say number nine? So I think we have, after this one, maybe three, three more to go uh, in the lesson. Uh, Zeb, if you run out, we can get, uh, get more copies I wasn't sure. I did make more than I did last time, but we'll see. We continue to, to, keep, us, to keep ourselves reminded uh, that really all of our Christian life is about loving God, about loving God. If we, if we miss that, uh, you know, there is a certain aspect of, of religion involved in serving God. Christianity is a religion. Now, we believe it's the only true religion, uh, but it is a religion. Uh, it is the practice of our, uh, of our, our walk with the Lord. Uh, but if that's all we have, if all we have is religion, uh, then we will come up short. What God calls us to, what Jesus calls us to, is a personal relationship with God. John chapter 17, verse 3 gives us the definition of eternal life. This is life eternal that they might know God and know His Son. Amen. And uh, you remember the time that uh, the, uh, the religious leaders, the lawyers, came to Jesus and asked Him, Master, tell us what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said, the greatest commandment is this, that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like unto it, that you love your neighbor as yourself. On these two hang all the law and the prophets. Are you out? Okay. We need what? Maybe maybe three or four more, something like that? Just over on, just over on this side. Okay. Thank you, Sister Hembry. Um, it's all about loving God as the primary principle of the Christian life. And I know that can be a challenge when you think of having a relationship with, with someone that you can't see and uh, that, that you can't hear uh, when he talks to you. Uh, but nevertheless, God is able to make himself real in our lives. And I'm so grateful for that, that he is able to, to be a reality to us. And he is able to be real in such a way that we, have, uh, we can have an interactive relationship with himself. Jesus said, I believe it's in John chapter 10, my sheep know my voice and they follow me. In other words, we learn, we can learn to recognize 
the sound of God's voice speaking to us. And I kind of believe that it is, it is unique and it is distinctive for each one of us. Uh, you may not hear uh, or, or understand God's voice in the way that I do when God speaks to me, but I, I've learned through my own personal experience and walking with the Lord that just that inner awareness, that inner sense that God is is dealing with me, God is leading me or working on me, talking to me about something. We have mentioned this a number of times when we think about interactive relationship. We have a few more handouts here. If you didn't get one, maybe on this side. Thank you, Sister Joanne. A couple more over there. Everybody else back there, you all get what you need? Okay. You know, if you call a plumber to, to work on your plumbing, you hope that you get a plumber that's done more than just read a book, right? If you take your car to be worked on by a mechanic, you hope that that mechanic has, has done more than just read a book. If you, uh, if you have to have surgery or an operation of some kind, you certainly hope that your surgeon has, has done more than read a book. You, you really hope that he's had, he or she has had some hands-on uh, personal experience, an interactive relationship with what, they're, with what they're working on, with what they're doing. And that's what God calls us to, a relationship that is interactive where we, uh, we have a hands-on understanding of what it means to follow God and to live for Jesus. As we have been doing, I'm going to ask you to uh, say with me uh, this definition, the working definition that we have for what it means to love God. Uh, this is based on a, a sermon by John Wesley. Join with me. To love God is to self-sacrificially commit oneself to delight in Him, to rejoice in serving Him, to desire continually to please Him, to seek one's happiness in Him, and to thirst day and night for a fuller enjoyment of Him. Amen. We are talking now about this portion uh, that uh, says desiring continually to please Him. Desiring continually to please Him. And this is, is part two of this, uh, of this phrase. The last time we spoke from Psalm 37 verse 4 and uh, what it means, talking about what it means to delight in the Lord, and uh, that uh, when we love someone, we take pleasure in them, and we want to please them. And so, uh, in desiring to please, we try to serve. And uh, we continue uh, talking about desiring to please God. We are looking at two passages of Scripture, Hebrews chapter 11, and then John chapter 14. Now, last week we talked about this idea that there is no part of our lives that God does not care about. Do you believe that? There is no part of my life, no part of your life that God does not care about. Now, we do tend to compartmentalize uh, into, into sacred and secular, uh, but really I believe from God's point of view, all of life, everything that we do, uh, not just on Sunday when we go to church, but when we wake up on Monday and have to go to work or whatever our responsibilities involve, 
we can do those things and offer them up as service to the Lord. Whatever you do in word or deed, do it all to the glory of God. So there's nothing in our lives that God does not care about. And in order to work on pleasing Him, in order to give ourselves, give our lives in an effort to please God, we need to be filled with the knowledge of God's will so that we'll know how to walk in a way that is pleasing in His sight. But knowledge is not enough. Knowledge alone is not enough. We mentioned this just a few moments ago. It's more than just an intellectual assent or an intellectual knowledge, but we need hands-on experience of what it means to please God. So let's talk about this for just a few moments. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Knowledge is not enough. We need obedient faith. We need obedient faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Do you want to please God? You must have faith. And uh, this is not the kind of faith, like the little boy said, that, that faith is believing what you know ain't so. Uh, it's not that kind of faith. Uh, but it is a kind of faith that is a confident and a hopeful expectation. It is being assured that what God has promised, He is able to perform. So what does that look like in our lives? If we say we have faith, how should that look? Well, there are three key elements of faith based on this verse from Hebrews eleven six. First of all, faith believes what God says. In other words, we take God at His word. He says something, we take Him at His word, and we believe Him. And friends, at some point, that means we need to get past our, our uh, objections to what God says in His word. You know, I, I don't know why it's, we have such a tendency to say, yes, but, yes, but we, we talk about the love of God and, and the justice of God and the mercy of God. And, and almost without fail, there will be somebody who will want to object about. Uh, and, and we've talked about it here. And I understand the intellectual uh, roadblocks that sometimes get in our way. But people are often troubled uh, by things like, well, what about the heathen in the in the distant lands that have never had the opportunity to hear about Jesus. You know, will God be, will God be loving and will God be just? Is, is God going to consign them to an eternity in hell just, just because they never had the opportunity to hear about Jesus? Well, I'll tell you, I, I don't fully know how to answer that question, but I can tell you this, I don't think we need to worry about it. I don't think we need to be concerned about it. I believe that God's sense of justice and morality is far superior to mine and far superior to yours. Amen? And if we're concerned about these things and about justice and morality, then certainly God is going to do what's right by these people. After all, He does tell us in His Word that there is enough that can be known about God from creation so that when everyone stands before Him on Judgment Day, they will be without excuse. 
Well, that was a little rabbit trail, so let's get back on track. Faith believes what God says. And at some point, the Christian needs to get past the objections. We believe what God says. We may say, Lord, I don't, un- I don't understand it, but Lord, I'm going to take you at your word. But not only does faith believe what God says, but faith does what God requires. Faith does what God requires. I think I mentioned this this morning. If you uh, go to the doctor and the doctor diagnoses you with a certain kind of problem and tells you here's, here's the treatment that you need to follow, and if you follow this treatment, it'll take care of your problem, but you go your way and ignore what the doctor says. And somebody asks, well, do you trust your doctor? And say, oh, yeah, I trust my doctor. No, not if you don't do what he says. If you don't follow the doctor's directions, you don't really have faith in your doctor or trust in him. Because real faith is demonstrated not just by the words that we say, but it is demonstrated by the actions that we take. Faith goes beyond an intellectual assent, believing and taking God at his word, but it goes past that to the point of being willing to do what God requires. It walks in obedience. And then faith rests in and trusts on God's promises. Three key elements of faith. So what might this look like if it were lived out in our daily lives? Let's just take one little example. And I think you may have a typo in your handout at this point. I believe the, uh, the uh, handout references Philippians 1, 6. That should be Philippians 4, verse 6. Some of you are probably familiar with this passage, and I know we're going to step on toes here, um, but this, this steps on my toes too, so uh, we're all in the same boat. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, be, be careful for nothing or be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And God says, if we do that, the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You see, in this passage, God is telling us through the Apostle Paul that we are supposed to trust him with our needs and our problems and not worry about them. Preacher, do you ever worry about your problems? Yes, sometimes I do. But God is faithful. And often it's not long before he reminds me of this very verse. Be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about anything. You see, the reason we are not to worry, the reason this is important, is that worry in the, re- in the Christian is a reflection on God's ability to meet our needs. It is a reflection on God's ability to meet our needs. And if you and I are consumed with worry and anxiety, what it says is that we're really not completely confident that God knows and can take care of our needs and our problems. Now, friends, I'm not trying to unchristianize anybody. I believe that you can be a... a, a worrier and still be a Christian, but I believe if you are a worrier that God wants to work on you and in you to bring you out of a life of anxiety and worry so that you live a life of trust and confidence in Him. What do you suppose it would do to me 
if one day I were to walk into the bedroom of one of my children and I found one of them just pacing the floor back and forth with a, a very concerned expression on their face and they're wringing their hands and I can tell it's obvious, very obvious, they're bothered, they're worried about something, troubled about something and, and I say, what's wrong? What's bothering you? And they say, oh, I'm afraid that, that uh, we're not going to have enough to eat. And, and I'm afraid that you're not going to be able to pay the bills. And I'm afraid that uh, we, we're not going to have all the clothes that we need to wear. And they just one thing after another and worried, worried, worried. What do you think I would tell my child? I would say, well, hasn't your mom and dad always provided for your needs, for the things that you need? And I, it would hurt me, it would, it would trouble me if I found that they were worried that they weren't going to have their needs supplied. And friends, I believe it troubles the heart of God when anxiety begins to take over our hearts. Say, so what are we talking about, Pastor? We're talking about desiring continually to please God. And what obedient faith does in pleasing God is we take what God says in His Word, we take Him at His Word, and then we walk in obedience, and then we rest in His promise. So whatever that thing is that you are anxious or worried about, you say, Lord, you said in your Word that I'm not to be worried, I'm not to be anxious about anything but rather to make uh, my prayers, my requests known to you with thanksgiving. So, Lord, here's my request, here's my need, and I'm going to thank you in advance for the answer. And now, Lord, I'm going to rest in the promise that you gave, that if I would do this, that your peace would guard my heart. I think a lot of us would enjoy more peace in our hearts if we would learn to do this on a consistent basis instead of worrying Bring our needs to the Lord in prayer, thank Him in advance for the answer, and then trust Him, rest in Him. Amen. Well, moving on, there's not only uh, uh, obedient faith, but there's also faith, love, and obedience. There's a, a relationship, a threefold relationship uh, that works itself out here. Uh, John chapter 14, verse 15 is a familiar verse of Scripture that simply says, it's the words of Jesus, where Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, this reminds us of a passage from Psalms uh, 34, Psalms 34, verse 8. It reads this way, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. You see, friends, when we love God, we learn to keep His commandments. We learn that it's a good way. It's a good way to live. It's a good life. Over and over again. I don't know how many of you have studied Psalm 119 very deeply. If you haven't, I would encourage you to do it. Uh, it might be a challenge for you to memorize, uh, but... Uh, but at least do a good study of it. And there are, uh, are numerous stanzas there and verses. And Psalm 119 is all about God's law. And the psalmist says, oh, how I love your law. He talks about the beauty of God's law. And 
what he's talking about is not simply a list of rules and regulations, but he's talking about the beauty of a life that's lived the way God intends for it to be lived. And when we live that way, it's, it's like the airplane that we mentioned a few moments ago, that no matter how big and bulky and heavy it is, it's able to get itself off the ground. Why? Because it operates according to certain laws. And when we conform our lives to God's law, to His Word, we can have the kind of life that God intends for us to have. And you see, friends, true love motivates within us a desire to please, a desire to please. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, most of us still have at least a little something to learn when it comes to pleasing Jesus in everything, in everything whether it be, you know, maybe we feel like we've got the church thing down pat. You know, we're able to be consistent in the place of worship and, and uh, God's blessing us there. Uh, but maybe we've got something to learn at home. Maybe, maybe we've learned how to represent Jesus faithfully at work, but maybe there's something somewhere else, something in private uh, that we, we need to learn. Maybe, maybe there's some attitudes or reactions while we're driving down uh, the, the highways and the other friendly uh, drivers that are sharing the road with us. Uh, maybe, there's some, maybe there's something in that area of our lives uh, where we can learn better how to please. I don't know why I always end up on driving. That's that must be where God tends to, to work on me the most. Um, but uh, we all have something to learn. And you know, the, the truth is, we, all, we tend to have a, a, a particular view. People tend to have a particular view of God's commandments. We see them as, uh, we tend to see them as fences. And uh, in, in fact, the Pharisees used this, uh, used this idea, this thought process to great advantage. The, the Pharisees uh, and the scribes, they took God's law, uh, the, the 613 individual laws that God gave through Moses, and then they developed this principle called fencing the law. And it's really a sound principle. It makes sense. You know, if you have, if you go to the, to, to, uh, Say the Grand Canyon. That's been a long time since I've been to the Grand Canyon. I remember, I remember better when I was a kid going to Stone Mountain, Georgia. That's been in the news a little bit lately. But I don't know if any of you know what Stone Mountain, Georgia is. But it's just outside of Atlanta. And it's a big rock, basically, about the size of a mountain. It's bare granite. I forget, maybe 12 to 1,500 feet high, something like that. It is huge. And uh, you can take a... a uh, what do they call it? A cable car. Yeah, that's what it is. A cable car. You can get on and ride up that cable car to the top, and you can get out on top of that big rock and walk around, and you can walk, but you can't walk right up to the edge. They have put a fence far back from the edge so that you don't get anywhere near the danger of falling over. And this was what the scribes did with the law of God. They wrote commentaries and they wrote articles and pages and pages about how we were to keep God's law. And uh, it's, a, it's a sound principle, but friends, when you live 
with God's law thinking of it in terms of fences, it's no wonder we end up with Christians who live lives full of bondage. Live their lives just, you know, every few seconds walking around taking their, their spiritual pulse, so to speak. And I used to know how to do this. There it is. Okay, I'm, I must be okay. We do, people tend to do this spiritually. We, we walk around taking our pulses and we wonder, if I'm, am I okay? Lord, am I okay? But friends, God doesn't want us to live that way. The Apostle Paul in Galatians said, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Now don't go back and surrender to a yoke of bondage. You see, friends, God's laws are not like fences, but rather they're like guardrails on a highway. They're meant to keep us safe, meant to keep us from going over the edge. You see, friends, faith, love, and obedience all work together, and true love motivates in us a desire to please. So how can we, what are some things practically that we can do uh, to put this in uh, in operation in our lives? How can we seek God? Uh, desire continually to please God. The first thing that we can do is as we read and study our Bibles, we look specifically for things that God commends or that God blesses. Look specifically for things that God commends and God blesses. There are also certain people, certain characters in our Bibles that God commended for their character traits, for their qualities. And as you read about those people, you can say, Lord, open my understanding. Help me to see why these people were pleasing in your sight. And then those are people that you can emulate. Just mention that. Look at the lives of those who pleased God. Here's a really important one, I think, for a lot of us. Instead of always asking, is there anything wrong with blank? You know, that's usually what you do, what you say, or what you ask when you want to get away with something. Well, is there anything wrong with it? Don't ask, is there anything wrong with it? But ask, rather, what would please the Lord most? What would please the Lord most? And... That's another area of our lives as Christians where it demonstrates that we might not love God as much as we once did if we are pushing the boundaries of what is pleasing or not pleasing in God's sight. And this varies. Let me. I've got a few minutes. Let me take just a few minutes and mention a couple. A couple things. There are. Uh, we don't hear much about this these days, but I remember my dad talking about this. There are three levels of convictions that every Christian ought to have. Three levels of convictions. One is Bible-based convictions. This is not in your notes, by the way. If you, if you can write it on the back if you want, but... Um, one is Bible-based convictions. In other words, the Bible says, thus saith the Lord, there ought to be no arguments about those things. No question. No, no pushback. We say, Lord, you said it. I believe it. I'm going to conform my life to your will. On top of that, most churches uh, 
organizations. Um, sometimes it's it's colleges. I went to a I went to a Bible college that was fairly strict in its code of conduct, and uh, when I uh, became a student there. Uh, I had to read the student handbook, and I had to sign uh, on a line that I agreed I would abide by the rules of that institution. Now, were all of those rules Bible-based rules? Oh, many of them were based on principles from the Bible, but there were many that you couldn't find in the Bible. They were just simply thought to be good ideas. But even though they were not specifically in the Bible, because I had agreed to the code of conduct, I had put my word, then that meant I had obligated myself to abide by those rules. So whatever organization that you belong to, we most of us here belong to the Church of the Nazarene. The Church of the Nazarene has a code of conduct. It has guidelines, areas where we are cautioned to, to walk carefully in how we live. When you became a member of the Church of the Nazarene, you agreed to abide by that conduct. So there are convictions based on not just God's Word, but based on the organizations, the churches that we belong to, the educational organizations that we belong to, what have you. But then there is a deeper layer, a a deeper level. That would be personal convictions. I have had at certain times in my life, and I I don't believe personal convictions don't necessarily have to be lifelong convictions. Sometimes God gives us a conviction for a period of time and says, I want you to do this or not do that. And sometimes some of the things that God has convicted me over, you you would maybe think is crazy. But God had a reason, and God knew what I needed. There might be some of the things in, in your life, some areas that you can, can participate in that I can't participate in because God knows what's good for me and vice versa. And those are those areas where we walk carefully, we walk closely, and we say, Lord, what is for me what is most pleasing in your sight? And friends, just because it doesn't say it or spell it out in God's word clearly, just because you can't find book, chapter, and verse, it, might not, it doesn't necessarily mean that God doesn't care about it. Remember, God cares about all aspects of your life. And if God is dealing with you about something, about putting something aside, or, or, or engaging in something that He wants you to do, just because you can't find book, chapter, and verse, don't think that God's not talking to you about it. God knows what you and I need fourth thing that I would mention is simply this. Ask the Lord to increase your desire to please Him. Now, those of you that are in love or have been in love, and a number of you are, are married or have been married, so I hope you know what it's like to be in love. What, what one of you have a spouse come to you and say, how can I please you more? Wouldn't that make you feel great? Wouldn't that make you feel good? Absolutely. Absolutely. How can, I, how can I express my love to you? How can I be, be more pleasing to you? And I believe it would please the heart of our God when we come to Him. Say, God, let me know. I desire to please you more. 
Show me how I can please you. Just quickly, in conclusion, how can we know when God is pleased? How can we know when God is pleased? Romans 15, verse 7, gives us these words. And friends, this is a good one. This is very encouraging and uplifting. Romans chapter 15, verse 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Friends, Christ has welcomed us into God's family. And I believe that God is pleased with us just because we're part of the family. I probably don't say it to my children as often as I should, but I have at times told them, I am pleased with you and I love you just because you're mine, just because you belong to me. You don't have to to do something to earn my love or favor. I'm pleased just because you belong to me. So friends, just knowing that we belong to God is enough to help us know that we're pleasing in His sight. Secondly, human experience teaches us. Now, we, I need to explain this, and I'm going to try to do it quickly. When I was a little boy, I broke something of my mother's. And I'm not sure on that occasion what prompted me to want to do the right thing, because I can remember times in my life when if I had done something like that, I would have want to hit it, hide the evidence, uh, put it away somewhere, and keep my fingers crossed and hope that Mama doesn't find out what I broke. But for whatever reason, on this occasion, I took the pieces of what I had broken, and I went directly to my mom, and I said, I... I broke this. I'm sorry. And I I couldn't have been more than about four or five years old. And I could tell she was pleased with me. She didn't reprimand me. I didn't get in trouble at all. She just said, thank you for telling me. And she was pleased that I had done the right thing. Now, do you know what I'm talking about now? Human experience teaches us when someone is pleased with you, and I think we can learn when God is pleased with us. But finally, Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. This is the best way for us to know that God is pleased, when God is pleased. It simply says this, Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. And that literally means to let God's peace be the umpire that calls what is safe and what is out of bounds. And we can know when we are enjoying God's peace within our hearts, we can know that we are pleasing in His sight. Contrary, if, if, our, if we're troubled, if we're disturbed, that might be an indication that there's some, some area where we need to do business with God. But friends, let me encourage you to commit yourself to loving God with your whole heart. And part of what that means is desiring continually to please Him. Amen. Let's stand together, please.